Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Turn me turn with me if you will to John chapter 17. John chapter 17 and we're going to be looking at verses 20 through 26. John chapter 17 verses 20 through 26. Follow along with me as I read God's word. I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. And this is the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it today. And let us go before him and ask for that. Father, we thank you for your precious, holy, inerrant word. And we ask now that you would open up our eyes that we may see the wonderful things in your word. Send your Holy Spirit that we may see and savor what you have for us today. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, having kids will change your life in a lot of different ways. I have two daughters. Uh, one is five and one uh, turns four in March. And I, I can say that they have changed my, ways, my life in ways that I would have never uh, believed. Uh, I grew up with, all, with brothers. And so we did... You know, we were doing brother kind of things, and it was a big brother atmosphere. And uh, I went to I went to school, uh, an all male uh, elementary school and high schools, and so like my whole life was just kind of around guys. And so when I had two girls, it was really kind of a shock to the system. Uh, everything is I know more about uh, Disney princes. Disney princesses and Disney princess dresses and things like that than I would have ever thought that I would have known. Uh, but, but one way in particular that my life has, has been radically changed is how my prayer life has been impacted by my two girls. And what I mean by that is, other than my wife, I pray for them more than anybody else in my life. I pray for them First thing every morning, I, I pray for my two girls and I, I pray for my wife. And my, my oldest girl, she's more of a, a morning person like me. And so she gets up early and she'll kind of sneak into my office sometimes and 
You know, she'll ask me. She'll, I'll, I'll be praying. I'll feel like a tap on my, my elbow. What are you doing, Daddy? And, you know, I'll tell her I'm, I'm praying for you and I'm praying for Sissy. And I'll tell her some of the things that I'm, I'm specifically that I'm praying for her. And, you know, sometimes I, I, I keep a journal. And sometimes I will write down those prayers for the girls. You know, what I'm praying for them, that they would love Jesus. That they would love him more than the things of this world. That they would glorify him. I, you know, I'll write, I don't care if you make a lot of money. I care if you glorify Jesus. I, I'm hoping one day they'll read these things and, and that will really you know, bear testimony to their heart of my love and my care and, and what my heart is and, and was for them. Well, in today's passage, we have a very similar thing from Jesus. We see how Jesus prays for us. And if you will, we have a window into the heart of Jesus and we see how much he loves us and we see what he is desiring for his church. And if we think about the scene, this is the, the, the eve before his death. So he, things are coming to a head and these are the things that are on Jesus's heart for us even today. And I think it, it may surprise us a little bit what Jesus is praying for us. He doesn't pray for the things that we often gravitate towards when we're praying for one another, or when we get together and we take prayer requests, and the things we ask for, very good things we need to be praying for, you know the things I'm talking about, uh, health and this person needs a job and those kind of things. We certainly always need to be praying for those, but I think Jesus' prayer in John 17 may help us and it may sharpen us and it may uh, give us ideas of how we can better pray for ourselves and better pray for each other. So I, I hope uh, that we'll be sharpened in that way as we go through this text. And I want us to kind of think about a couple questions as we're going through these verses. And so here, here's what I want you to be thinking about in your mind. One, who does Jesus pray for in the text. And I've kind of given that away already, but I want you to see it from the scripture, not just because I said it. So one, who is Jesus praying for? Two, what does he pray for? And then three, why does it, why does it say that he is praying for those specific things? Okay, so first, whom does Jesus pray for? And we see, as I said, that Jesus is play, praying for the church, or he's praying for future believers. Look at verse 20. And Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also those who will believe in me through their word. So it's future tense, right? Those who will believe in me. If you look at John 17, and I know you guys are very familiar with this passage, it's Jesus' high priestly prayer. And it's really divided into three sections. The first section is Jesus praying for himself. The second section is Jesus praying for his apostles, those immediate disciples that are with him. And then that third section is what we're talking about today. Jesus is praying for us. And so we really do get a unique view into Jesus' prayer for his church. Now, the fact that Jesus prays for those who will believe in my name. The fact that he prays for that specifically, or prays for those people, it really has three implications that we need to, 
to hammer down on if we're going to understand and get a foundation for the passage. And first, the, the first implication in verse 20 is this, that personal belief is imperative. It, it's, it's a necessity. Individual and personal faith in Jesus as the Messiah and the Savior of the world is essential. It's not enough to simply hear the message. It's not enough to simply have parents who believe it. It's not enough to simply go to church or even to, to read the Bible or do Christian things. You must actively trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and what he has done for us. You, you must believe. Near the end of the book of John, John kind of gives a, a summary statement of, of why he wrote the entire book, uh, the, the whole book, why he wrote these things. And, and it says this, John 20, 31, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So personal belief in Jesus is necessary for eternal life. And so we must, we must always be asking ourselves, do we, do we believe in Jesus? I, I know that, uh, I know at this church, at this gathering, uh, we do believe in Jesus. We are, we are here because we're here to, to celebrate Jesus. But I see a lot of families and a lot of kids, and I, we, we continually need to be bringing this, this to mind and impressing this, that, that it's a, a personal belief in Jesus dealing with your sin and your heart uh, that brings eternal life. But the second implication from verse 20 is that what we believe about Jesus matters. The details matter. So where does that come from? Jesus prays, verse 20, for those who will believe through their word. So through whose word? Well, that's through the apostles' testimony. And so in other words, Christians don't hold vague ideas about Jesus. And we don't get our ideas about Jesus from National Geographic or from the History Channel or from what politicians say. We believe in the Apostles' message of, about Jesus. So, so how do we know what is that? What is the, the Apostles' gospel message? Well, the Apostles, or those who were closely associated with them, wrote down their, their message in the New Testament. We have the Gospels that tell the, the life and mission and death and resurrection of Jesus. We have the book of Acts that tells the, the growth of the early church. We have the epistles that, that deal with some specific issues that were going on in the church. And we, of course, we have Revelation that, hey, we get a glimpse of the end and we know that Jesus is coming back and he will rule and reign and he will bring all things under, uh, under him in consummation. And of course, we also have the Old Testament. And the apostles, like the Lord Jesus, they taught that the Old Testament was truly about Jesus. We see that in how they, they quote the Old Testament continually. We see that in, in their very Christocentric interpretation. We see that early, uh, early from Jesus. You know, he said, the script, these scriptures, they were written about me. And we have that same testimony from the apostles. So when we say uh, those who believe through their word, that's really just a way of saying those who believe what the Bible says about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done 
to put our sins under and to unite us to himself. All right, so the third implication of verse 20 is this, and it's a little more implied. You've got to kind of dig for this one. But it's that the continuation of the church is guaranteed. And what I mean by that is Jesus isn't praying for a potential group of people. He's praying for people who, whom he knows will believe in his word. And so from, from the early believers in Palestine to the, as the gospel grew and went to Asia Minor, through the centuries, right here to Bartlett, Tennessee, the church has been growing and will continue to grow because Jesus is praying for those people. And we can have confidence that God's word will accomplish its purposes, even when things look dark, even when we're in difficult times. We've been in difficult times in the past year or so. I mean, 2020 was was difficult on many different fronts. 2021 has already been difficult on many fronts. And we can look around and we can wring our hands and we can think about, you know, there's a lot of things that, that may be coming. There, there's a lot of difficulties that may seem insurmountable for the church. But because Jesus prayed for future believers, we can have great hope and confidence that the church will stand and will continue. And that should also give us great boldness and excitement in our evangelism. As, as we preach the gospel, we, we know that some people will believe because Jesus is praying for future believers. He prayed on the, on the night of his crucifixion. This is uh, Hebrews 7.25. Uh, he prayed for, uh, on the night of his crucifixion, he prayed in John 17, that's what we're talking about. But Hebrews 7.25 tells us that he continues to, to make intercession for those who believe in him. So he, not only did he pray for us, but he is continuing to pray for us. So that means that Jesus isn't like many of us who, we've all done it from time to time, we say we're going to pray for someone and we have all good intents and purposes. And by the time we get home, you know, 20 things have happened and we forget. When Jesus says that he's praying for someone and he will continue to pray for someone, he is going to do it. And we don't have to have any doubt. We can have great confidence that he's praying for us even now. So that's, that's the answer of the who question. Next, we're going to consider what is Jesus praying for this group of people? What what is he asking? And I think by implication, if Jesus is praying this for us, we ought to be praying it for one another. So it's, it's vitally important that we understand what this is. Uh, and I, I think we're going to see two main things. There's several things in here, but we could, we could group them under two things. And so first, Jesus prays that our unity would testify to him. Look at verse 21. Jesus asks that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, think about this. This is the just hours before Jesus will be arrested, falsely tried, it's a sham, 
He's going to be beaten and crucified. More than all that, he's bearing the, the wrath of the Father on the cross in our, in our space on behalf of us. He has all of that going on. And right here, he prays for the unity of future believers. That, that kind of takes me off guard when I, when I read it and really think about the implications of it. Uh, Jesus is praying for something that, that's of vital, vital importance, and maybe it's something we don't think about as often as we should. So what kind of unity is Jesus talking about that's important? Well, we just know from the, the witness of the Bible that the unity that we have is because we are in Christ. I mean, that's a, that's a huge uh, arc of theology in the New Testament, that, that believers are in Christ. It's a favorite description of the Apostle Paul, right? And when we see a lot of the metaphors that Jesus uses for the church kind of play this out. You know, we are... Um, you know, we are the, he is the vine, we are the branches. You know, we're in him. Or we are all individual members of his body. Again, we are in him. So the union with Christ, our union with him, is the foundation for our unity. But what does that unity look like? I mean, that's, that's a big question, right? Is it... Some people might say, well, you know, unity is cult, uh, cultural uniformity, kind of like everybody ought to look the same, kind of talk the same, wear the same clothes, use the same lingo. Well, is that what, what Jesus is talking about? Some people might think it's, it's more like a socio-political unity, that we might agree on the major problems within society and, and how we need to fix the, the various social aspects uh, in the war of the world in which we live is that is, is that the kind of unity that jesus is talking about i don't think so i think look at looking at the scripture we see something totally different and again look at verse 21 and listen to jesus's words he says that they may all be one just as you father are in me and i in you that they may also be in us and then in verse 22 this really hits at home, that they may be one even as we are one. And so our unity is rooted and founded in the unity of the Father and the Son, the unity of, of the Godhead itself, it, itself. And so we need to be thinking, we need to be asking the question, well then how are the Father and the Son unified? Because that's how uh, that, that's how we need to be unified. What, what are they unified about? Is it these cultural things? I don't think so. The book of John is one of the big themes of the, of the book. If you sit down or just to kind of read it and take it all in, a big theme of the book is the unity of the Father and the Son. So let, I'm not, I'm not going to pick all of them, but I'm going to pick several. You could write down these verses and look them up later or, or perhaps find some more of your own. But I think it kind of gives us a picture of what Jesus is talking about. So one, the Father and the Son are unified in mission. John 6.38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Or John 4.34, another time Jesus said, My food... My, my sustenance, my very food, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish 
his work. So you can see, you see what's going on. Jesus and the Father are united in their mission. But two, we see that they're united in their message or what they uh, see is truth. And Jesus says in John 14, 24, and the word that you hear is not mine. I mean, it is, it is his right, but what's his point? The word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent him. So they are perfectly unified in the word, the message, the gospel, the truth that Jesus is speaking. But third, we see that they are united in love. I, I won't read these verses, but John 5.20 tells us very clearly that the Father loves the Son. And then John 14.31 clearly tells us, and we see it in many places, that the Son loves the Father. So they are, they are united together in this relationship of love. And so, and there's many other things that we could, we could pull out, but we're getting the picture that's, that when Jesus is talking about a unity in this passage, he's talking about a unity that's a unity of mission, a unity of message, a unity of truth, a unity of relational love for one another. And so simply put, this is unity in God and the gospel. Okay, that's, that's the unity that Jesus is praying that we would have with, as believers and within the church. Well, it's important to see that this isn't unity merely for the sake of unity. He actually attaches a purpose for it right here in the passage, okay? Uh, it's, it's really unity toward a very specific goal. So look at the end of verse 21. Jesus prays. He prays for unity. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then he repeats it again in verse 23 for emphasis. He says, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So Jesus is praying for an inward unity of the church as an outward witness to the world. So this is unity. This is unity that, that preaches a message. It's unity for the sake of evangelism. And so it's a unity that, that people see and they say, well, why are these people like the way they are? And it, it points them to Jesus. I remember uh, two or three years ago, I went to a, a Christian conference and there was a, a speaker there and and he was just telling a little bit about his testimony. And he was 23 years old, and he was going to a, a really, really uh, fine college. And he had these, he really is a real smart guy, you know, big, big plans. I think he was studying finance or something like that. And didn't want to have anything to do with the gospel. I mean, he, I think he grew up in Texas maybe. but So he, he knew a lot about the gospel or Christ and very familiar to him, but didn't want to have anything to do with it. And when he was 23, his, his, I think his mom became a believer. And she, she was going to church. And uh, she asked him and his brother, it was Mother's Day, you know, will you come to church with me on Mother's Day? And you know, he really didn't want to go. He finally gave in and he went. And God used that as the beginning uh, on the road to, to conversion. He, he went and he, he was, as he was giving this talk, he said, I was, I was taken aback by this group of people that they were old and they were young 
and there were people from different ethnicities, and there were people from different countries, and there were uh, wealthy people and people that were struggling, and all these people were together, and they were so unified. And I asked my mom, why are all these people getting along? Why, why is there this love in this room? I mean, it's palpable. I can feel it. And she said, we're all united around the gospel of Jesus. And, and so, he, so he wants to know what that is. You know, long story short, he comes to believe the gospel. And it began with the Lord using the testimony of those believers who, who were united around the truth of the gospel. And so that's exactly what, what Jesus is praying for right here. That's how God designed our unity to work. But there's a problem, right? We don't always get along as we should. We're, we don't always, uh, we're not always as unified as we should. Uh, we're sinners saved by grace even even now. Uh, we're growing in sanctification, but we're, we're all struggling, right? And so while unity can serve as evangelism, the opposite is also true. Just putting, putting this out there as a, as a warning to us. Uh, Puritan Thomas Manton said that division in the church always breeds atheism in the world. That's a strong statement. So left to ourselves, we can struggle. But that's why Jesus comes to us. And that's why, he's, that's why he prayed for us then. That's why he's asking for the, these things back then. But he's also praying for us now as we talked about it. And we should pray likewise. And we need to continually remind ourselves, hey, our unity bears witness to the world. It glorifies Jesus when we're unified. And so we need to hear his words, right? We need to hear Jesus praying. We need to understand what he's praying for. We need to meditate on his words. And Jesus will send his Holy Spirit and bind us together in love that our unity would be a testimony to the world. And, and I would say, let's, let's begin by applying this in very small ways, right? So husbands and wives, begin with your marriage. I'm not talking about like unity, about the finances and harmony in the home so that you get along and things are nice. I mean, you do that too. But I'm talking about real unity in the gospel that your kids see, and it is a testimony and a witness to them. That is your greatest evangelism field right in your home. Or, or think about uh, at work. You know, I, I had a, uh, a friend, this is uh, early on when I was a, I was a believer, and he was, he was telling me about how they would, he had just become a believer, and he would go to work, and he was talking to another believer at work. My friend had become a Calvinist, and this guy was not, and they were, they were always arguing about these things at work, and the third person on their team in their cube area was a devout atheist, and he always wanted to get in on the conversation, and he would say, you know, they'd go to lunch, they'd want to have like theological discussions and these kind of things. Now, I'm all about theological discussions, but think about what that disunity, I mean, they were just always picking at each other, the, the two Christians, picking at each other. And what did, what did that do for the, the atheist? That just confirmed his belief that these folks aren't like any, they're, they're just like everybody else. There is nothing different that's going on in their lives. Just like Thomas Manton said, disunity in the church breeds atheism in the world. So let's look for small ways, family, home, and certainly, uh, certainly within the church. I mean, 
unity within the church, that is the, the primary witness. And I, I think that is what Jesus is, is praying for here. So let's put our unity on display that the world may know Christ and they may come to glorify him. But unity isn't the, the only thing that Jesus is praying for. There's another what that he prays for, and it's this. Jesus prays that believers would persevere to our ultimate goal. Look at verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So what is the goal of our lives? Well, according to this, it's that we would be with Jesus in the presence of God the Father and experience the fullness of the glory and worship him and enjoy him forever in all his majesty. Now, if you asked some Christians, you know, what is the goal of the Christian life? You might get an answer like to go to heaven. And certainly that there are some truths to that. That's not completely incorrect. But I think Jesus wants us to see that a better answer centers on a person, not a place. And so a better answer is what's the, what's the end goal? What's the end result? I want to be with Jesus and I want to see his glory and enjoy him forever. I know that many of you are familiar with the Westminster Catechism and that, that first question, what is the chief end of man? What does it say? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so that's what Jesus is praying for us in John 17, that we would enjoy and, and glorify God forever. Is, is that our heartbeat? Is that our greatest desire. Well, Jesus is praying that it would be, and he's praying that we would persevere in that very thing. I mean, that's the reason we've been created. But Jesus, Jesus doesn't just pray that, that, would, that we would persevere to our goal. He, he actually guarantees it. So first, Jesus assures our perseverance by revealing himself and continuing to reveal himself uh, to us. Look at verse 25. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, past tense, and I will continue to make it known. So we are guaranteed to persevere because Jesus himself makes himself known. He, he, he past tense, made himself known in the incarnation. And he continues to make himself known to believers through the Holy Spirit as he's bearing witness to our hearts about Christ. So Christians, we don't, we don't believe the gospel and, and know Christ because we're any smarter or wiser or we just, we figured it out better. We're naturally more spiritual. We know the Father. We know God through Jesus, and because the Holy Spirit is continuing to make him known to us every day of our lives. And so that is good news for sinners like us who are saved by grace. We, 
We need a Savior who, who preserves us. Think about it like this. Jesus is more concerned about your perseverance than you are. Jesus came on a mission, and Luke 19, 10 says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Do you think Jesus will fail in that mission? Absolutely not. He began a good work, and he will bring it to fruition. He will bring it to completion. He will make the Father known to us, and he will continue to make it known. Jesus says this in, in John 6, 39, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing that he has given me. So Jesus empowers our perseverance by continually making himself known. And, and he does that. Why does he do that? Because he loves us. Look at, look at verse 26. I may known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So did you, did you catch that? Jesus prays that the love that the Father has for the Son will be in us. Now, how much does the Father love the Son? How, how lovely is the Son? He's perfect. He's righteous. He's, he's obedient. There, We've already said they're united in mission and purpose, in truth, in message. They're, they're one. How much, how, how lovable is Christ? Okay? Now, go to the other side. How much love can a perfect God, who 1 John 4, 7 says God is love. God is love. He's perfect. He's perfect in power and glory and beauty and all his manifestations. So how much does a perfect love, a perfect God, the Father, love God the Son? It, it blows it blows my mind to think about how the Father loves the Son, but then, hold on tight, Jesus is praying that we would know that the Father loves us in the very same way. That's, that's an amazing, amazing truth that empowers our perseverance to know that God loves us in that way. And again, it begins with that, that great theological notion of, of union with Christ being in him is the foundation of all of this is the fact we God loves us because we are united to his lovely son and being in him is the is the foundation of it it's the foundation of that of the love but it's the foundation of our unity as well being in Christ really is, is a, the foundation to so many key uh, aspects of the Christian life you know there's a there's a song that uh, you guys may sing. We sing it at Southwoods. Uh, it's called Glory is Certain Because Christ is in Me. If you haven't heard it, look it up on Amazon uh, Music or whatever you play music on when you get home this afternoon. It is greatly encouraging. But it, it really preaches that truth to our hearts that our it's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Our glory is certain because we're in Christ and He loves us. So, when you feel like you, you can't press on or you feel like, how could, how could I ever persevere? Or when, when you, we sin and we just feel God could never accept me like this, don't, don't preach that message to yourself. 
preach to yourself the love of God in Christ Jesus and his substitutionary death that saves us, that redeems us. We have his righteousness because we are in him and we have the full pardon and love of the Father that preserves us to the very end. So, in conclusion, I think we could summarize what our passage is saying like, like this. Jesus prays that our unity would testify to him and that we would persevere to see, see Jesus, see him in his glory. And I want us to, I want us to think about that, and I want us to, to meditate on that. And I, I just want to pull two kind of short applications or two short connections of how this, this really impacts the way we should pray, okay? So first, do we feel our neediness in these two things? You know, when Brother Mark was giving the pastoral prayer at the very end, he, he, he prayed that great confession, we are needy and we need you, Lord. So as believers, that's one of the first things we, we realize about ourselves is that we are needy. But do we know that we're needy in these two things? You know, again, thinking about back to where we began, when we pray, we often pray for the things that we're, we're needy for, right? Like we can't heal ourselves, and so we, we pray for uh, physical healing when someone's very sick or, or deathly ill, something like that. We pray when we feel needy, but do we feel needy about the things that Jesus is praying for us. Maybe we should. At the very end of Jesus' life, he's bowing his head, and he's taking the request before the Father, and he prays for our unity and our perseverance. So maybe we're more needy in that area than we realize. Maybe we need to be seeking the Lord in those things more than, more than we think about. Second, we should long for the glory of God in our prayers. So let me tie this into another one of Jesus' famous prayers, the Lord's Prayer. How does, how does that begin? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, or glory be to your name. So that's how he begins the model prayer. And then we see that in John 17 as he's actually praying. He actually picks up on that and, and expands it by praying that our unity would testify to God's glory and that the that, that that testimony would go out to the nations, that people would believe the gospel, and that people from every tribe, tongue, and people and nation would glorify God at the final, at the final hour. So we need help in that. We need help to glorify God. We need help to witness to others. We need help in our evangelism. Let's sense our need and seek the Lord in that. Jesus desires that we would be with him in glory and enjoy him forever. Let's hope in that. Let's trust in him and let's pray for that even today. May that be our greatest desire and delight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you that he has come and given himself as a substitutionary sacrifice in our place that we may be redeemed and that we may 
cry with the Spirit that we are sons of God. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done through him. And, and thank you for your word, which, which shows us our great need for unity and our great need to endeavor in Christ to persevere, to be with you for our good and your glory. Help us in that. Help us to bring these things to mind this week. And we just ask that we might do this, even today, that we would glorify you with our words and our actions in our homes. And we ask this in the name of the mighty Christ. Amen.